Welcome to the Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, business, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. Today we will be discussing abstraction thanks to a listener request. And with me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. So we had somebody who wanted to know a little bit more about abstraction, what drew you to it, uh, your path down this road. Um, so uh, I guess let's just start off with uh, a little bit of discussion about what first uh, made you interested in abstract. Sure. And I and uh, let me just say I, I appreciated the question too. And, and we do welcome uh, listeners to uh, submit questions to us and uh, we'll try to answer them. So, you know, when I think about how I got into abstraction overall, I would say looking back, you know, it's been a really long search for trying to find some kind of a, a personal visual language that would both relate to what's outside of me in the visual world, things that interested me that I would see and experience, as well as uh, my inner response. And so it was uh, a process that actually, I think, started back in childhood um, with that kind of fascination with things that couldn't be expressed in words and were were part of my experience as a kid. And a couple things that I remember um, just being outside in the landscape when I was very small and feeling this odd sort of um, connection with 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 nature, with nature around me. I remember crawling through these, it was, there was snow out and I was crawling through this part of the backyard that had weed, big, tall weeds or something. And um, it must've been like a field. And I was making a tunnel through the snowy weeds. And I just remember feeling like I had been transported into this magical realm or something. And I, I was just so struck by that. And there were other times when I was a kid where I would just I would just contemplate things. I mean, I must have been a rather strange little child, but I would would just, you know, think about things that I couldn't put words onto, but they were experiences that were, that were really meaningful to me. So I think probably that impulse, it goes way back. And then I remember when I was um, a little bit older, about 12, I had a book that was written for young adults. And it was about, it was about famous paintings, I believe was the title of it. And it was not a kid's book. I know there's a lot of children's books out there that explain about art, but this was this was meant for a little bit older audience. And it was arranged by topics, thematic topics, and then there would be pictures illustrating the ideas. So let's say there was a page about mother and child and a page about trees or something. And then within within the page, there'd be different examples from different times and cultures and styles. And so I love that book. And I, I mean, it was an exposure to me that art is about ideas. And the fact that there was abstraction included in the book, uh, I think from the beginning, I realized that abstraction was about ideas or could be about ideas. Um, Remember a particular page with a um, painting by Paul Clay of bridges, and they were very abstracted bridges. And I just was looking at it thinking he took something that he saw and he made it into something that he felt. And this was this was a pretty big idea for me when I was when I was a kid. But I didn't really approach abstraction in my own uh, drawing or painting for a long time. And I did 
I did a lot of that as a, as a child. I was always drawing and painting, but um, even as I, I got into college years, I was uh, still working, you know, pretty much what I saw. I was representational work, but I did feel that, that pull somewhere underneath. <laughs> um, Do you think that that was mostly due to the way that you were instructed? I mean, as you're going through high school and college art courses, them mostly being focused on realism? I think that's probably true. I think that that's the traditional way of being taught. Um, I think things are different now, but I'm sure when I was at least in in um, earlier grades or high school, the the focus was on, you know, a still life or something like that. Um, although I I did have I did have really good um, art instruction at different times as I was growing up. So I don't really know what it was. It was just um, I wasn't ready for it or something. And I think that that spending those years becoming um, a realist painter or realist artist was good training. I think I learned a lot, and some of the the vocabulary that I developed with realism um, definitely carried carried through. Well, there's certainly there's there's something to be said for learning realism um, because you because you pick up the basics very easily uh, when you when it's all kind of in front of you. Um, but I do think that there is something a bit rebellious or revolutionary about abstraction. I think it's always been the case um, going mm. back to kind of the early days of, of abstraction and the way that people yeah. come to it. Um, it seems right. to be uh, a, a rejection of the kind of the realism that we are being, th- that's being thrust upon us within the kind of <laughs> system. Well, and, and you know, I, I never want to, I never want to say anything negative about realism because I enjoy a lot of, realistic work and representational work and i think the best of it is is a personal interpretation i mean oh certainly you know so i you know i don't i don't want to say it's easy or i don't want to say it's conventional or anything i mean i i I really like a lot of it but maybe maybe that desire to step aside from what we're seeing all the time and what we you know what we see around us maybe that is a little a little rebellious. I don't know. I never thought of that that way, but um, I I think it's more like you're you're reaching for something uh, that you can't. I mean, I guess the word ineffable ineffable comes to mind. It's sort of it's hard to explain. It's hard to describe, and it's hard to work with because it is it's beyond words most of the time. Although lots of abstraction does come from the visual world originally that's the source uh, i would say that would be true for for my work from coming from the landscape and so like when i was in in high school and college i really liked some of the impressionist painters because to me they were they were looking at the landscape they were seeing it and but they were seeing it through a different uh different eyes they were seeing their light and color and approaching it in a very different way and this was this was really appealing to me and, you know, somewhat of an influence for a while, um, as well as I, I know we sort of touched on this topic in the very, I think it was the very first podcast where I talked about, you know, just how things developed for me and that there were, there were certain other artists that influenced me that had a personal way of dealing with realism and uh, George O'Keefe, I mentioned, William Wiley, I mentioned, uh, he would include figures and drawings of recognizable objects as well as abstract symbols. And um, 
I also like some of the the modernist painters like Marsden Hartley and Arthur Dove dealing with dealing with landscape, but they were putting their own absolutely their own recognizable interpretation on it. So let's uh, let's kind of fast forward to um, what was pulling you in the direction of abstraction as you were moving into it um, in college courses. Your kind of your early days, what you were painting, what you were looking at. Sure. Um, so yeah, starting out in college, I I worked. Of course, the first few years, I'm just trying to get my feet on the ground with understanding different media, different techniques, and. Then I would say my last two years of undergraduate school, and this was at the University of Wisconsin in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Um, and actually, I'd, I'd had a, an entire year of art school out in California, and I uh, I dropped out. I didn't think I had what it took or something. <laughs> and um, But then I came back. I, I came back to college as a, I guess you would say, a, unconventional student or mature student I forget the term but I was in my late 20s when I when I started again with my undergraduate program and so I was very serious you know I was like this is good and um, I did work more realistically for several years and just I remember things like you know figure drawing class which was a huge challenge to draw correctly and that sort of thing and then in the last year and a half or so, as I approached uh, my uh, BFA show where I had to put up some of my work for the public, I did start to play around with the idea of some way of looking at realism that was more personal, I guess. And I I thought of it as abstraction, but I really was a bit confused about what I was doing. But it was just I just followed my intuition and my subject matter that I was working with were bits of nature, not really landscape, but things from nature like um, shells and rocks and insects, and and then playing around with those forms in ways that were not straightforward depiction, although I did some of that too. And insects in particular were pretty interesting to me. Um, and I think, I think they had a, an element of symbolism or you could read well, you could read things into them. I mean, to me, they were they were both kind of scary and creepy and frightening, uh, but also beautiful. And that there was uh, this kind of duality to the to them. And so I would I had collected some and was working with them. And then actually, I took a, a summer art uh, summer art workshop at Kent State in Ohio. And there were these things, I think there were June bugs or some kind of beetles that were all over the place down there. And they, so you'd find them dead. <laughs> and um, one day I picked up one of them and I started, I had some canvas thread that had raveled off a, a painting and I started wrapping it with this thread and I turned it into a little mummy. And somehow that image of that wrapped beetle was very compelling. And I, I used that in some drawings and paintings and actually had some of the little wrapped beetles in my BFA show. So, so you weren't just a strange child; you were a strange young adult as well. <laughs> I know. I'm almost afraid to be describing this. Um, so, yeah, I had this. I had this little pyramid of wrapped beetle mummies under in a glass case in my show. But uh, you know, I mention it because it, I kept having this impulse to to make these things of nature somehow personal and 
the other thing I was doing was just painting them as fragments and putting the fragments together in sort of collage-like arrangements. But they, but if you looked at the painting, you could still tell this is a bit of a shell, this is a bit of a, a leaf or whatever it was, or a stone. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about your kind of composition of work during this time. Uh, were you starting with kind of an endpoint in mind, or was it more process-oriented like your work is now? It, it was uh, actually um, the latter. I mean, I... I remember working on these things as a very intuitive process. So I would start, I would start with something, and then I would add something, and add something, and add something. And it wasn't, it wasn't really like now where I actually paint over. I mean, these were these were straightforward oil paintings that weren't built up in layers, particularly. But um, I didn't work from drawings, and I didn't really have a plan. So there was that aspect of it too that I think I was I was developing was just following my intuition. So were you kind of laying down fields of color to begin with and then adding objects to that or you know I, I, I mean I've seen some of your work from this time and it's hard for me to kind of yeah <laughs> figure out what your process was, you know. And you know, it was a long time ago, so I'm not sure I remember except that I probably did start with just sort of toning the canvas and beginning to work and I'm pretty sure I was I was painting the bits and pieces individually and in some detail and then seeing okay what's next what what does this suggest to me kind of thing and uh, some of them some of them were really large and they started to resemble landscapes actually the way that the different objects were placed in there became sort of a surreal landscape. So I unfortunately don't have a lot of pictures of this work or, or memories of it, but uh, I have some. And I know it was it, it was an interesting phase for me because it, it started to feel very personal. Like, this is, this is quite different. This is something of my own. Well, I believe that I have one in my bedroom, so maybe I have a little bit more direct experience in... <laughs> Actually, the one that you have is from is from that that one that you have there is actually from graduate school, which was the next phase. So as I left undergraduate school, um, I I I guess when I'm describing all this stuff with that I did uh, in college, there's a surrealistic feel to it, right? It's it's real objects. There's a real objects, but they're placed in this kind of odd uh, situation or or personal invented situation. So there was some kind of drive I was feeling where, again, I'm trying to bring together what I'm observing with with something inside, some personal interpretation. And so, um, and, and, and developing some symbols like the wrapped beetles and things. So I wasn't really conscious of all this. I'm just trying to figure it out, just trying to feel my way in. Um, and so I went off to graduate school at Arizona State University, and um, uh, you know, I, someone else has asked me to talk about my my educational experiences. So I won't I won't go into the grad school experience uh, in depth right now. That I'll save that for another podcast. But I was I was um, kind of um, you know on my own, and I I was going into a situation in which I had much less direction i guess you know it's you're just supposed to work more independently so i'm a bit frustrated when i first started because i didn't you know it was hard to find my way 
But I continued with that thread of surrealism, I think, and trying to find a way that worked for me. And there were there were a couple of sort of breakthrough paintings. And one of them <laughs> really was about looking at the visual world. And this, this again, is going to make me sound a little strange, but, you know, hey, artists can be. <laughs> so I was eating lunch, <laughs> and I had a white plate, and I had had a sandwich, and I I looked down at my plate when I was done, and on this white field, this white background, I'm seeing little bits of things, like here's a crust of bread, and here's a little bit of mayonnaise or something, or ketchup. And all of a sudden, I thought, these small things on this white field are quite interesting. Like, they're individual, they're scattered across a plane, and they're kind of hard to describe or see what they are. And so, I had this idea of working with invented objects that looked like they might be something, but it was hard to tell what they were on just a, a pretty much a flat background. And so that was one thread of an idea that led into some pretty abstract paintings where I was inventing forms, putting them on fields of color or plain. And the one that, that you have, and maybe we can get a picture of that for the... <laughs> for the uh, the Messy Studio uh, Facebook page where I've been putting up some photos of things. Um, that was from that time. So I was just inventing this kind of surreal world. And, um, you know, it was it was kind of playing around. And, but there was an emotional component to which I was going through. Um, a friend of mine was dying of leukemia. And I would think about this a lot because, you know, he was he was young in his 30s. Um, and I had a letter that I had received and I, from him and I, I sprayed it with water and I pressed it onto a piece of paper. And so it transferred and it was backwards and a little bit fuzzy. And then I, I, I worked with that idea for a bit, you know, taking bits and pieces of this letter and putting them into compositions and, that again was sort of a breakthrough because it was a merging of something that I was going through emotionally and um, something that I was taking something from the real world, this letter, and trying to work with it. So um, those were just some memories of of that time. And um, the work that, you know, I did overall in grad school, I was there for three years, explored a lot of I, w- I would guess I would categorize most of it as surrealism in that there were there were things that looked like figures, there were things that looked like plants, and there were also things that I made up and a lot of symbols. So the the work with symbols, I think, is interesting. Do you think that symbols have a, a kind of a, 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 as a method of communication, are more direct than uh, other forms of communication or... I think symbols are interesting. They they do tend to be enigmatic, um, unless they're very obvious. I mean, um, pers- very personal symbols that are coming out of your own experience may be very hard for other people to know what they're about, but I think they're powerful for the artist and that if you're interested in artist's work that uses symbolism and you look into it, it does open up a whole world of of their own thoughts and experiences. So I, I do find them interesting. I don't, I don't really use them very much anymore, but it was, it was a period of time when I did. And I, 
I found them very interesting, and I, I still find them interesting in other people's work. So as you leave school and you're kind of developing more of your artistic style, um, what, what were your, your kind of your influences and how did you develop past this um, kind of symbols and figures mm. in a blank field and develop your style more? Well, I, I was learning to paint better. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the earlier ones were, were quite flat and, you know, it'd just be like a flat field of paint, but not very, as we say, painterly, like um, the paint itself wasn't really expressive. And it, it became more so and more so during graduate school. I mean, I can see some of the paintings I did near the end where the brushwork itself was interesting which wasn't really the case earlier. And so that was part of it was just getting technically better. But in terms of ideas, um, again, you know, it was quite a while ago and I don't, I can't really trace all the transitions, but I do remember going to see an exhibit in the mid eighties after graduate school, uh, graduated in 85 with my master of fine arts and came back to Wisconsin. And I, there was a exhibit at the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis that was influential, and it was um, it was called the Interpretive Link, and it was about the earlier work of some of the painters from the New York School or the Abstract Expressionists, like um, de Kooning and Pollock, um, and what the show was about was how they moved from this kind of their earlier work was uh, mostly. There was a lot of figurative stuff in there. There was a lot of reference to objects. And um, and there was a, definitely a surrealistic feeling to it. And it was, it was just um, kind of raw and psychological work. I mean, you, you could tell they were really struggling with this stuff and, and working through some personal stuff with it. And I found it so interesting to know that in the end the styles that we know of their work became non-objective, but they had gone through this time when they were working with uh, kind of their inner demons or whatever, but they were coming out as somewhat recognizable or we say like biomorphic forms, which look like they could be real, but maybe they aren't. So this, I bought the catalog for the show and I would look at that and think, okay, these these people that I admired went through this somewhat similar phase, you know, that I had been going through. And I, I don't remember how it directly influenced me really, but that somehow this was, this was part of the mix of, of influence. And um, so we came back to Wisconsin and I think, I think I took some sidetracks when, when I was back because I didn't have following grad school. I did not have an uninterrupted period of work and because I, um, we, we started the family. And so within a year after coming back from uh, Arizona, I had been uh, your older brother and then you and three years apart. And so there was a, this period of time of really trying to juggle um, the, the family with getting in whatever work I could. And I think it was a, it was a difficult time in terms of sustaining ideas. And so when I look back, it's, it's quite scattered, really. I was doing a bit of this and that. Well, and you were forced into different materials at the time, weren't you? Because you were moving from, uh, I mean, when you were working 
you were working with oil paints, harsh solvents, and then you get pregnant, you don't want to be handling this stuff, right? That's right. I, I did some work in acrylic, which was pretty new for me. And um, I also, once you guys were, were born, and I was, you know, I was... I would have some daycare time during the week and I would just uh, try to do something that didn't involve a whole lot of setup, right? Like, you know, something I could put down and pick up. So I did some work in collage and I did some drawing and I was working in like charcoal drawings, pastel drawings and things that if I had two hours, I could I could work on them. And there were some some interesting things that came out of the drawings that were um, again, uh, starting to feel like a personal language about about um, the experiences I had been through, which was pregnancy, um, giving birth, and nurturing little kids. And so I, I, I like this work looking back because to me it was really personal and it wasn't at all the kind of sentimental images of mother and child that one might see it was it was kind of the raw emotions and experiences that i had gone through and in in all of its its glory and its um difficulty so it's it was a time when i did feel quite connected to my work emotionally but again it's sort of um i didn't uh, really follow up on it it was just kind of a scattered time and then you know, as as things settled down and you guys were in school and I had more time to develop ideas, I came back to some of the stuff I'd been working with in graduate school, but it had it had come into a more abstract phase. It was it was less recognizable as objects or anything and and probably more connected to landscape. Do you think that moving away from the the more kind of uh, symbolic uh, work that you were doing in the past, um, you know, being forced into kind of different mediums and different circumstances allowed this other work to come forward? Um, it it may, may very well have, yeah. I mean, I think... I know it's a very leading question, but... <laughs> well, you know, it's it's always hard... Feel free to disagree. <laughs> I will. <laughs> no, I, I think it's always hard, for me anyway, to look back at a period of time and to say this led to that or something. Cause I, you know, I was in the middle of it and um, would it have been different if I, you know, continued with oil painting and all that I probably would have been, you know, um, but I can't really guess. And yeah, I mean, nothing happens in a vacuum, but at the same time, it's, it's hard right. to. Right. And I, I do think, I always think it's good to explore different media and I, I'm sure that that was helpful and expanding ideas because you know different media brings out different things in, in what you're trying to say and i know that the drawing i do remember that the drawing i did was felt very direct like um you know it's just a piece of charcoal in your hand you know it's just not a lot of process involved and also that collage which i worked in somewhat and that was taking bits of my own work um torn up things that didn't work and and collaging them. I wasn't using other things for collage, but I remember that that felt quite liberating because uh, I could move things around, you know. <laughs> it has a it has a great freedom in composition and things. So um I think those are really good phases to go through. Yeah. And I I think when I 
you know, I think back on this time as one in which my interest in landscape really was coming back. And I had it in grad school. It was a kind of a different interest. In grad school, I was in the desert, and I was in a very strange environment to me, coming from years of living in Wisconsin. I think that really had a lot to do with the surrealism as well, because I would go out into the desert of Arizona and look at these strange plant forms and the saguaro cactuses that look sort of figurative, and you know, it was having its effect. And I come back to Wisconsin, and the, the gentle, familiar landscape I think became a sort of a touchstone for me. And I I returned to some, you know, pretty pretty representational landscape painting off and on. At the same time, you know, still trying to bring in some abstract element to it. It seems to me that, that abstraction at its core is kind of about coloring outside the lines, pushing boundaries. Um, you know, that's kind of the, where you start as a child, you know, is kind of, you know, they tell you, use this color here, color inside the lines. And when you start pushing that boundary, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you start becoming more abstract. And it, it seems like at least, you know, in your work, but I have a feeling in many other people's work as well, um, you know, the big kind of shifts and the big developments in your work come when you're forced out of your comfort zone. You know, when if you're in one place for too long doing the same thing, you kind of fall into a routine, you know, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and things that shake up your life, you know, that push the boundaries, that push you out of your comfort zone are the things that are going to change your work and enhance it and make it grow and develop and change. Yeah. And, I, you know, I... I can look back at certain points in my life when when things were upsetting and bad and there was change. And I think because of the emotional component of abstraction and the desire to express what's inside, when things are are difficult outside um, in your life, it, yeah, I mean, I think it does, it pushes you into something. And, you know, I, I know there was a, there was a big thing that happened to all of us in September of 2001. And I happened to be in Spain at the time on an artist residency on September 11th. And that is actually when I felt like my work, there was a definite shift. And that was in response to that trauma, really, because um, I just, I mean, you know, and I, I never want to make it sound like, oh, that was, you know, that was so good for my art career or something because, oh my God, I mean, it was horrible on so many levels. Um, but I think it, it fits in with what you're saying that, that it was a, a push out of, uh, we were all pushed out of our comfort zones. And so in my work, what happened was that, um, you know, I was in Spain on this artist residency when this happened and, it was a very strange time, of course, and I, I was away, and I was away from the family, and I was away from my country, and I was trying very hard to un- even understand what had happened, because it was all kind of through a, a screen of uh, another culture being explained to me. And so I knew enough to know that something terrible had happened, and I knew bits and pieces about it. It wasn't actually until somewhat later that I was able to really understand the sequence of things. But anyway, um, I do remember that when I first got to Spain, which was before September 11th and a few days before, and I was I was looking out at this mountain vista, which was incredible. I was up in the Pyrenees, and I was thinking, how do I deal with this? You know, this beautiful vista, and I was trying to 
you know, kind of approach it as a landscape painter, really. And after the, the news and the trauma and the processing of this, I felt like I just have to, I just have to narrow down. I have to be grounded somehow and literally looking at the ground and looking at things very close up, looking at textures of rocks and dry grasses and things. And um, so some of the work that I started doing there and I continued afterwards was um, going sort of going back to that idea of the flat plane, actually, now that I think of it, that I had started in grad school. Now the flat plane is the ground or the rock and and working with the textures that I saw, but they're in more like a minimalist or a color field way. And um, I think it was just this desire for simplification uh, and the desire to connect with the earth, you know, that was around me. And I, I don't know, I don't really have words for it, but there was a shift and it continued when I got back home and it continued on into, I would say, a more mature phase of my work and continues today. Yeah. Uh, you know, the trauma of that time changed a lot of things and a lot of industries. Um, you know, it, uh, um, there was, there was a, a very strong desire for escape, um, after those events. Um, and you see that in the art that was being produced, uh, in the music, the mm -hmm. movies, mm -hmm. um, you know, and uh, and during that time, you know, it's kind of like we're all sharing this this massive trauma, yeah. And uh, and you know, traumas, they're they're not good, but um, you know, they do have that effect of of shaking things up, making mm -hmm. people see the world in a different way. True. Um, I mean, and you can look back um, through art history and at wars and things that happened, and people's response to them, and. And um, sometimes there were new art movements that came out of times of great difficulty. So uh, it's part of the human experience and whatever the trauma is, you know, whatever we experience on a personal level or a national level. And so, you know, I, I think it's, it is part of our role as artists to allow whatever we're experiencing into our work. And it's a way of connecting with other people as well, because especially when there's something that affects not just ourselves, but society, um, you know, there's a, it's a way of connecting. And I think, I think the work that I started to do then was, was really about nature and a connection to nature as a universal experience. And that perhaps resonated um, for the time. And um, a lot of people, yeah, did, were looking for some sort of comfort or grounding or something. And I certainly was. So anyway, that, that work, this would have been, uh, well, obviously 2001. And then moving on into the next few years, I, I just kept developing those kind of organic surfaces. And I did right around like I think it was the winter of 2001, 2002 is when I started using the cold wax medium and, you know, kind of getting back to some of the other aspects of abstraction. The cold wax medium really helped me to develop abstractly because I, as I started to work with it and I started to figure out how to work with it, there was 
this whole layering process, which is what I do now. And um, it, it allowed me to build up surfaces and then dig back in and scrape away and put solvents down and create this beautiful kind of textural surface that, you know, I've always felt that texture itself has a lot of emotional resonance to it. And I was really, really enjoying working with this medium. And even though in those days, the work actually was smoother than it is now. I mean, today there's more physical texture, but the visual texture was very exciting. And so um, I, I had this the sense that now I don't that the medium itself I'm working I'm I'm working with the medium it's becomes an involvement with the paint and the wax in a way that sort of picking up a brush and rendering something does not here I'm you know physically engaging with the material more and so that was really helpful in developing abstraction for me yeah I I think that uh, there was certainly that kind of relationship existed um, you know, in kind of the, the more impressionist painters and the way mm-hmm. that they were experimenting with, with applying paint to a canvas. Yep. Um, but uh, the, the wax has kind of a moldable quality to it. And uh, the way it reacts with, uh, with different uh, tools and solvents. Um, right. You could add things to it. There's certainly a lot of potential it. there that, yeah, that hasn't really been there uh, in the past with other mediums. Yeah, the, the, the plasticity of it. It, the way it combines with the paint, and, and I mean, you could put, you can put uh, other things. You can put sand, or you can put marble dust, or whatever, in with it, and that even gives it more texture and body. And so, it's it's quite it's really exciting. I mean, obviously, I I'm excited about cold wax, and and have been for a number of years, and um, written a book about it. So with Jerry McLaughlin, and it, it's become a big part of my work. Although I do. I continue to feel that working in other media also enhances the whole overall process of of um, visual language. And one of the things I noticed looking back over the last few years is how there's a there's a thing about abstraction that I've kind of noticed, and I include in my teaching that most abstract artists will focus on a, a relatively few visual elements. It's like your interest is caught by color or line or shape. And so I I look back at some of the work that over the last few years and I see, oh, you know, there's been these phases of focus on different visual elements over time. And so the ones, the paintings I was doing after the experience in Spain were kind of flat color fields and they were bolted together. The panels were actually fixed together in different arrangements. And so there it was kind of a focus on color and texture, but then this geometric arrangements of it. And then and this interesting color and texture went on for a long time with some mark making and things. Uh, they're mostly fairly simple. And then there's been another phase recently where there was a lot of line work, and this was um, 2014, 2015. And now the current phase is it's about shape, so shape and contrast and I say about, I mean, that's just the main visual elements that I find myself concerned with. And I I think it's a interesting kind of shift over time. And, and yet there's a continuity to it as well. And um, I think that working in different media helps bring that out and keep it, keep it moving, keep it exploring. Well, if you didn't 
explorer into different media, then you never would have started working with cold wax in the first place. <laughs> uh, you know, you can only assume that, that, you know, working with other media is going to enhance it further. You know, you may find the next thing that, that really, uh, that you can combine with the cold wax or that, um, you know, brings your work in a whole different direction. Uh, you know, who can predict that unless you, yeah, you, you only find it if you, if you go out and look for it. That's a, that's a really good point that, uh, you know, the, the fact that the cold wax was a new medium. I mean, I didn't know what it was when I started with it. And uh, it led to so much. And so, it, you know, I can, I can think of other media that interest me now. And I think, oh, maybe those, yeah, those doors can open up too. And um, it's exciting. I think it's exciting to keep exploring. So these different kind of phases that your work has gone through, do you view those as representational of things that were going on in your life in a, in a direct way or um, things that are going on in your subconscious or? I, I think it's a combination. I mean, I, you know, I talked about what, what I believe led to those rather simple color field paintings after September 11th. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think the patterning that developed in the work where I would bolt panels together, that was, that was a strategy really to to make those panels work, to 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 keep some visual interest in contrast and the straight lines in between them, um, and there were the the linear, more linear work, I think was uh, somewhat coming out of technique because I I fell in love with a, a technique of transferring lines from the back of a piece of wax paper, or something putting paint down, drawing through, and. I just loved the way that looked, and it. But it was also related to the idea of travel, and I was doing a lot of travel at the time, so the lines became um, pathways and roads and maps and things like that. Um, I've also explored different colors at different times. I mean, sometimes my work is more colorful than at other times, and I think that's a combination of what's around me and what I'm feeling, and. So it's always, uh, I mean, it it really boils down to an intersection of of what I'm experiencing in my life and what I'm experiencing around me, and letting that letting the two of them kind of um, intersect. Yeah, it almost sounds like kind of a you know a Rorschach uh, ink blot test, you know, where the process of putting ink on paper and folding it creates an image and you see in it what what your mind creates Uh Um, but in your case you're kind of choosing to explore more of what of what you see in an image with the the process is generating yeah i mean there's there's definitely a connection with something subconscious so if you had an if you were to look at this ink blot you're obviously the reason they use the test is supposed to be revealing of your subconscious when you look at it and say oh i i see this or that in it and um it it is that that tapping into the subconscious the intuition it's hard you know it gets way back to what i was saying at the very beginning it's hard to put words to it and i think it's it's hard to talk about um i think all you can do is is um you know there's a there's a certain interaction of materials and experience and i think trying to to keep working with that and and trusting that things are just going to keep being revealed so it's quite exciting to see changes and and yet to feel that there's a core of experience 
that I keep tapping back into. Um, and sometimes it's it's interesting because I'll see something from the past coming back. And uh, I mean, when I think of those overlapping planes and that graduate school work, now I'm working with sort of overlapping shapes. And sometimes there are planes of uh, color or contrast that, that overlap. And um one shape with another. And, you know, all of a sudden, as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking, oh, that that's kind of interest has been there for a while. So uh, it's a it's a kind of a fascinating uh, thing to imagine what's what's happening inside and that it's consistent over a lifetime in a lot of ways. And um, you don't get there unless you you let this stuff happen, you let it evolve, and you you allow that intuition and subconscious to be to act and not be overly influenced by other people's work or things that you admire in other people's work trying to always bring it back to your own response and and that's where you find that channel sure yeah it's it's like there's also overlapping planes of time you know where you have these different phases that you were going through in your work and they all kind of reference to each other yeah build on each other yeah and i mean you know now i'm 63 and this has been going on for a lot of years <laughs> and so i look back and i i see bits and pieces that are, that are i see it in a way as all different phases and different times and yet there's a continuity to it that has to do with with landscape and with things that affect me in that way so um, yeah, it's been quite a journey. <laughs> I do. Um, when you look at your early work, do you s- still see yourself in it then? I do sometimes quite surprisingly. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a, uh, there's another, um, work of art I remember from undergraduate school and I'll, I'll put a picture of this up on the Facebook page, but it's, it's an etching. And so I was a printmaker for a while and this etching is a landscape and, but when you look at what's going on, it's very full of visual texture. I mean, really, it it it's quite abstract. And I don't think I thought of it at the time. I think I just was trying to depict what I remembered of a landscape that I was in. And and yet, when I look at it now, I say, "Oh, that's so that's so related." And then the thing that is funny about that etching is that down in one corner, it's a long, narrow piece there's a little figure looking at the landscape and that lands that little figure is me and i had to put me in there and i think that was an expression of this this whatever it was this underlying impulse to connect emotionally with something and i remember one of my instructors saying to me uh, he was kind of critiquing the piece he liked it and everything but he said you know there's going to be a time when you don't need that little figure in there um, you're gonna. You are just going to become one with what you're doing. You don't have to illustrate that you are looking at this landscape. You will be in the landscape. And I thought that was really interesting to think back on later. And that is what happened. Yeah. So, do you have any advice for people who are developing their style, who, um, you know, are listening to this and kind of thinking, "What's my next step?" <laughs> you know, I, I. I do in a way. I I always get back to it's a very personal process, and I think what what is sometimes frustrating for 
my students when I talk about the fact that it's, it took me years and years to develop my abstract approach, and many of my many of the people I work with are not twenty years old. I mean, they're they're in their fifties, sixties, or even older, and coming into abstraction. And um, so I think it's <laughs> it's kind of frustrating, probably, for me to say, "Oh, well, it takes you, you know, a lifetime." <laughs> they're like, "Well, I, sure, I don't have that much time left," <laughs> but I. I think I think what is true for a more mature person coming into this is that they have the life experience that I did not at 20 and so that that I do believe the path can be more direct as a mature person coming into this but I would just I mean as far as advice I just think there's a lot of introspection involved and a lot of working in in solitude in in just working on your own. And I, I think it's important to take workshops or classes in order to get that outside stimulus and to learn about techniques and to take in a lot of ideas. But but the real work is on your own, by yourself, and a lot of it. And and it's trying to tune into whatever it is that moves you. And, that you know, it's another big topic, this whole idea of developing a personal language. So probably best for another podcast, but I just, um, I think it's all about that somehow that introspection and that thinking about what, what's important to you, what moves you and doing some objective thinking or writing. And then as well, stepping back, not thinking and just painting. And, and for somebody who has mostly worked in realism in the past and they're kind of thinking about dipping their toes into abstraction. What do you say to that person who has, who has the technical skill, Yeah, but and, they're, they're not sure about, you know, moving in a different direction. Right. And I, I do often suggest that people start with subject matter because abstraction includes use of subject matter. Now that's, sometimes uh, a superficial way people think abstraction is its own world and it can be but there's a lot of abstraction that comes from visual observation and so that's a good starting place for someone for example they're they've been a landscape painter and a realistic landscape painter and so I might say well how can you move this in a direction in which we get the feeling of landscape but we're not being told exactly what we're looking at. And so one of the ways to do that, for example, is to try to work without a horizon line. The horizon line in a realistic painting always puts us into a certain spatial illusion. We're seeing sky, we're seeing ground. If you do away with that, you've tilted people a little bit and they're looking at it. And that that was a strategy of my own early on was I tried to eliminate the horizon line. And so... I guess what I, my general encouragement is you don't have to do it all in one great leap. Now, sometimes people want to, they want to totally eliminate reference. Um, That's a little bit, that's a harder thing. It's a bigger leap maybe, but sometimes it's what people need to do. They, They need to totally shake off what they'd been doing. And then I think a lot of just expressive kind of work, mark making, um, playing with color, playing in the best sense of the word, the, you know, the, play as exploration and freedom. And again, not easy. 
I mean, it's it's a hard thing to shake off. Yeah, the, the what what you're saying about a horizon line is kind of interesting to me because I feel like there's maybe a little bit of of your old teacher coming through in in what you're saying. You know, you're saying to your students, someday you won't need that horizon line. You know, you won't need that. Uh, just like your teacher said to you, you won't need that figure in there. Oh. Right. That's it's a int- point of reference to reality that that at some point becomes unnecessary. Good. That's that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, I that advice to me was important, and I sometimes it takes a while for it to to affect you, and and maybe I am I'm going back to that. You're right. That's so interesting. Um, yeah. I think I think encouraging people to remove the definite reference points, but they can still allude to things and they can even include, um, you know, there's a lot of abstract work that say might have a line drawing of an object, but it's, it's put into a totally abstract context. I mean, you could have a line drawing of a figure or a chair or anything, and it's placed on a color field that has nothing to do with the way that we might see the figure or the chair, um, you know, a flatness, a flat background. And so it makes you look at the figure or the chair in a different way. And so that's what I think that's what you're hoping the viewer will do is involve themselves in a different way than uh, as, as viewers, we tend to label things, right? Like, um, and people do this with abstraction all the time, too, that might not have any reference. And they'll say, oh, I see this or that in it. We have a very human... Yeah, it's like looking at clouds. Yeah, exactly. We, we have a really human impulse to see phases and things. And um, people do that anyway, you know, and I think... Um, but what you're, what you're doing for a viewer is setting setting up a situation in which their imagination is involved and their their own personal experience so they can enter into it in their own way without a lot of um information or direction it's challenging for the viewer in that way and it's also challenging for the artist to give just enough information uh but not too much to not over explain and the type of person who enjoys looking at abstraction tends to be somebody who doesn't really want everything explained thoroughly. I kind of like that that mystery. Well, I think that we've kind of covered the ground from, uh, you know, early childhood all the way up to the current times in terms of your development um, and what brought you into abstraction, what other people can find in it. Um, and uh, I think we're going to do another part to this episode that's more talking about teaching. Right. Um, yeah, I I do have more to say um, about how I teach about abstraction and what I what I hope people can take away in order to develop their own work. So, yeah, I think that's a good one for another time. And, um, yeah, I think that's good for now. Well, that about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. Uh, You can find The Messy Studio on Facebook. Um, Rebecca has been very good about posting photos that relate to the episode. Uh, I'm sure that uh, you'll probably have a few photos of kind of your early work and um, uh, kind of the development of the different phases that we talked about during this episode. Right. So be sure to like The Messy Studio on Facebook. Um, and also check out www.coldwaxbook.com and www.rebeccacroll.com and sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. 
Uh, thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment and a bit of sound advice. Um, in the meantime, please subscribe on iTunes, rate and review the show. Uh, we're also available now on Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Um, so be sure to, uh, especially these early episodes, those ratings and reviews, very important to us. Um, so uh, please be sure to do that. And uh, also, if you if you have a friend who you think might enjoy The Messy Studio, uh, the way that this show grows is by sharing it with people who you think will enjoy it. Uh, we try to cover a lot of ground here and make it kind of universal. Uh, so even if somebody is not really into art, you know, maybe if they're more interested in kind of uh, the philosophy or the entrepreneurship, we try to include bits of that and travel as well. Um, so uh, share it with somebody who you think would like it. Share it with somebody who you're not sure if they would like it. Uh, and uh, maybe they'll stick around and enjoy it. Um, but uh, in the meantime... Embrace your creative space. Messy or otherwise. Thanks so much for listening.